This is womensleadershipsuccess.com radio episode number 71. What are the two things that consistently help global businesses operate more efficiently, improve profits, mitigate risk, and is the best bridge between management and boards? Join me today with a leading authority and find out why women leaders and good corporate governance is the proven answer to profitable businesses. Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast, showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life. No matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur, join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line. This is womensleadershipsuccess.com radio. Today we're talking with Nancy Falls, who is the founder and CEO of the Consinity Company, a firm that helps companies transform the way their boards and leadership teams work together. With more than 30 years of experience in and around C-suite, and the boardroom, Falls is a leadership and government expert who understands what it takes to drive authentic success. Thank you so much for being with us today, Nancy. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this uh, for lots of reasons that I'll, I'll talk about in a minute. Your new book is called Corporate Consinity. Is that how you say that? It is, Consinity. Corporate Consinity in the Boardroom. What is consinity, and why did you decide to use a word that will send most people running to the dictionary? Great question. It's one I get asked a lot. Uh, consinity is actually a word. Some people ask me if I made it up, but it uh, dates all the way back to 16th century, and it's a word that means the skillful and harmonious arrangement of the different parts of something. It actually communicates this notion that if you take a lot of different disparate pieces and parts, and you pull them together using skill and harmony, that it actually works well together. The word got used initially in uh, music, as you can imagine, pulling together a bunch of different musicians, uh, also in literature. And a true story, as we were working on building a, a methodology to help leadership teams and boardrooms deal with the most common leadership and governance mistakes, we were really sort of struggling with a way to help them think about it uh, conceptually. And I'm sitting at my computer, and across the screen goes the word consinity. And we said, that's it. In a word, it epitomizes an organizational and an aspirational construct that we find people can really, you know, wrap their group efforts around. So that's the, the source of the word consinity. Actually, we felt so passionately about it, we changed the name of our company, and it infuses everything we do. So basically your book is about how a company, the, the people in the company, the C-level people, and the board of directors come together and work well together. Is that correct? Exactly, exactly. It's really about the how of teaming. Uh, and the book is very focused on the relationship between the boardroom and the C-suite and what happens in the boardroom. But the principles really apply to teams as they work together. It's easy sometimes to get the great players, but the real magic is how you teach them to work together. That is, makes so much sense. 
And as I mentioned to you offline, this is a subject that I don't know a lot about. I would like to know more. And I think a lot of people that I've worked with don't know about this. So can you help uh, the women and men listening to this program to understand what good governance is and how it relates to being a successful business leader and also having a successful business? Sure, sure. Uh, the bottom line is good governance and good business go hand in hand. If you want to be good in business, get good at governance. Everybody thinks about the importance of and really works hard to get the leadership, get good leadership, get good players, as I mentioned, and absolutely that's table stakes, but equally important table stakes. In fact, I think this will become the functional imperative of 21st century business is good governance. Good leadership and good governance are really the the defining traits of high-performing companies. So, you know, what is governance is distinct from leadership. And, it, and governance really encompasses the work, the work of boards of directors. And it, and it describes this, you know, this framework or process by which boards help organizations achieve their goals but also obligate, you know, meet their obligations to a variety of stakeholders. One of the things that I, I liked in your book was you have a section here where you talk about how important it is for the board of directors to ask the right questions. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. It's interesting. I, I tell a lot of stories in my book, and, and it occurs to me to tell you one in answer to that question. They had a client that had a board of directors, and they had a CEO who was on that board, and the CEO that was, I, I guess I would say, had fallen victim to what used to be much more common in, in CEOs on boards, and that he really wanted to control the flow of information to the board. Mm -hmm. And so the board did not have that much of a relationship with the management team, with mm -hmm. the C-suite. And uh, when they did want to reach into the company and ask questions, the CEO would, would direct them to the people that they should speak to. And very effectively, um, controlling that information limited what the board found out, and it actually, in the long run, handicapped the company because the questions were so focused and directed towards the knowledge of the person that they went to. Instead of the board asking the hard questions and asking them of the right people. So it's really important if you are participating in governance to ask the hard questions of the people that can give you the answer. That's interesting to me. I had a woman who was a vice president in a company who spoke before her board and the president of the company was there and chastised her later because she gave a piece of information out that he didn't want the board to know about. And what I hear you saying is if a president or the C-level people handicap a board that way, it's going to end up uh, really causing a lot of problems down the road. Well, it certainly can, and the governance world has developed a, uh, a word for it. Uh, it's called information asymmetry, and it describes that condition that exists when some people have a lot of information and some people have a little information. It's the nature of the beast, however, that the board that's not running a company day to day is not going to know the company as well as the inside folks. So information asymmetry is a reality of the life between the boardroom and the management team. So it's even more important that you think hard about what really is the information you need 
to, to do your job and where you need to go for that information. Having said that, we are all about consenity and constructive harmony as opposed to, you know, debates and fighting. So I find one of the reasons people can't get their information needs met or limited or uh, their information requirements agreed upon is because they don't talk about it. So I, I do think as the board reaches into the management team, they need to do that in concert with the CEO. They don't need to be going around the CEO. Likewise, when a management team person is working with the board, they really need to be doing that arm-in-arm with the CEO. That makes so much sense. And it's, again, like I said, this is a, a new concept for me, but it sounds like what you do and what needs to happen is really good communication between the board, the president, the C-level, and exchange of ideas and information. Absolutely, absolutely. It's, you know, this, this, the work that we do at the Consinity Company is really all about helping teams of people work better together, whether they're in the boardroom or in the C-suite or somewhere in an organization. Uh-huh. And the same leadership mistakes are the same as the common governance mistakes. And at their core, they all are really this failure to recognize differences and be deliberate about seeking consensus. So if you're not communicating, if you're not talking, you're not going to know what those differences are. And we all know they exist. There's not a person on, you know, on this call that doesn't realize there are lots of differences, some big ones, some small ones. But the only way they get resolved is to communicate through them. So it's really important to recognize differences and What's the advantage of recognizing those different – I know it sounds like a innocent question here, but what's the advantage of recognizing the differences and working well together? What What's going to change in the company? Well, what's going to happen is it's going to get a lot easier to do your work. The companies – I mean, the, the, the teams are going to get more efficient. The organizations are going to perform better. And people are going to have a whole lot more fun because fighting your way to success and agreement is is common. I mean, read about it in the press all all the time, but it's it's not fun. You know, the people don't really like working that way. And the reality is that those differences exist, and people often take one of two extremes in terms of approaching them. They either decide, all right, there's a difference here. We're gonna we're gonna duke it out. We're gonna fight over it, or uh, there's a difference. I don't really want to bring it up. So we're just going to pretend that it, it doesn't exist. So either way, you either don't resolve issues and get to good solutions or you get there in a really painful way. So you can avoid those two things. And, and companies really do begin to perform better and people are happier doing what they do. Beautiful. Do you have any examples of companies where the board and the company works well together? I do. I actually have some some more stories in my book about companies that that didn't work well together. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us one of those because that, that that'll be important. Uh, yeah. Well, somehow those are the more interesting ones. Why do we always like to read, you know, bad news or negative news? Yeah. But uh, you know, I you know, I say it's it's uh, you know, really do believe that that good leadership and good governance are the hallmarks of, of high-performing companies, you can do what, without one, but you can't do without both. That companies that, that have both going on are really going to soar. Those that don't have either are just undoubtedly going to 
crash and burn. And I, you know, sadly, I've seen that. You know, we were called in to, to help a company that had issues in the C-suite, leaders that were not performing, and you know, we went in and did some really, we thought, pretty good diagnostic work, and we went to present our results to the board. And we thought, this is great. We can really solve this. We think we know what the problems are. And we started making the presentation to the board, and the board started arguing with themselves, and we were like, oh, boy, management is the least of their problems. Oh, uh, interesting. And this was a board that really didn't have foundational trust and respect for each other and a way of working together. And, you know, sad to say, this wasn't a company that thrived. Let me just leave it at that. But someone asked me one time if we ever, if, if I'd ever seen companies that really didn't need help with this. And I, I sort of laughed and said, you know, the reality is no. And interestingly, some of the best, and, you know, we see this in leadership, the best leaders are all about continuous improvement. So the same is true for C-suites and the same you know, leadership team and boards. Some of the best boards that have got it, a lot of things going right and how they govern are absolutely committed to continuous improvement. They do board 360s, they evaluate their work, and they bring in people to help them get better. Beautiful. What, what kinds of, who serves on a corporate board and how are people chosen? That's, that's another great question, and we do a lot of work with organizations helping them build or rebuild their boards. And what we say to them is like, you know, if, if you really need to build a board or rebuild a board, you need to ask yourself three things. Number one, decide where you're going. And number two, determine what you need to get there in terms of advisors, support, and, you know, people to challenge you. What boards are there for? They're there to advise, support, and challenge management. So what, what skills, experiences, and backgrounds do you need to get to this place that you're going? And then the third thing that I say they need is, is build a, a board skills matrix where you actually say, here are the functional skills, here are the experiences, here are the backgrounds that I need to be able to bring the right kind of advice and counsel and even pushback that that I need. Beautiful. So the best boards, the best boards are um, very thoughtfully constructed along those lines. That's it's just so interesting. How would a woman leader help prepare herself to be on a board? What would be something that you might do or expose yourself to that would help you to be ready to be on a board? Well, and, and I think there are a lot of really fundamentally board-ready women out there who, with just a little bit of help, can bring uh, a tremendous value to corporate America and organizations of all sorts. I really tell people to do three things. The first thing I think they need to do is they need to ask themselves deep down, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to be on a board? You know, what what are your intentions once you get there? Other than resume building, so to speak, because the best boards really do have people who are there with a lot of intention. And the second thing is uh, I... Would you is, stop there for a minute? Uh, because what would that be? Because I, I don't usually hear that from people. It, I think it is more resume building. So what would be, what kind of passion or intention should one have when we're, they're getting on the board of a company? Well, I guess I would start from the top and say a passion for good governance. If okay. you believe 
that as as do I that organizations let's just look at corporate America you know forgetting the rest of the world for the moment is in a position to do immense good or a great deal of ill and therefore they need to be well led and they need to be well governed and you don't have to look very far in the press to see how many are not well governed and if you care about having them be better governed so they do more good and change more lives for the better it's a great reason to decide to be active in in governance so from a high level caring about good governance is incredibly valuable i think the second thing is having a passion for the mission of the organization and and i'll tie that into the other two things that that i suggest that people think about first why do they want to be there secondly what do they bring to the table and thirdly they need to play that match game okay i'm really interested in in corporate governance i know i can make organizations that have can have impact better i'm really good at finance i'm really good at human resources or whatever their you know experience and functional capabilities are and so i need to find a company that needs that that doesn't already have those on their board or that that those are sort of important skill sets for them so one of it may be the mission you know let's suppose that i really have a passion for food and wine well and and i know a lot about it that would be sort of in the match game deciding that's something that that i'm interested in that i care about and that i can bring to the table really interesting so once you found those companies what would you do to start connecting with that board or making yourself known to them that you you might be interested in this well it's not it's not so terribly different from the the job search activities that all of us are very familiar with so you know find out who is currently on the board and that's part of the match game find out who's there and and what their capabilities are and if you know someone uh on that board that is helpful if you if you don't you you may have avenues into them through one of their trusted advisors that might be their attorney that might be their accountant that might be other people in the service sector who advise them but it is absolutely a a connecting activity unless you are seeking board positions on boards that are very large that are going to be filling board seats through the executive search organizations you know for, for folks who've got a lot of high level experience in really large companies that is um, how board seats are filled that's a smaller part of the board world more than 80% i think of even public companies are small cap so a lot of board positions are filled through connecting with people who are in a position to advise company makes sense could you talk about you you mentioned stakeholder gap in your book what is that and what does that mean well the news of late has been <laughs> uh, has been wonderful for those of of us in the governance circles uh, especially as it pertains to the stakeholder gap obviously it's a little play on the mind the gap of the the london subways but if you've read in the news anything about fifa or american apparel or the cra- the crashes on wall street whether it's bear stearns or lehman brothers you've got a case study and a management team and or a board 
that didn't mind the stakeholder gap. If you just this summer, all the news about FIFA and the corruption in its uh, management team, and uh, arguably by association, a board that didn't tend to that. These were leaders who were more interested in their own personal situation than either the game of soccer or the soccer players or the fans or the countries who have to gain or lose from, you know, having the World Cup in their in their countries. So also with these great failures on Wall Street, banks that were building products for sale in the marketplace that were worthless the minute they were sold, clearly were thinking only about one stakeholder and not other stakeholders. Every organization has a plethora of stakeholders, uh, not just shareholders, not just owners, not just management, employees, customers, vendors, communities in which they operate. And it is uniquely a board role to make sure that companies honor their obligations to these stakeholders, at least tend to them in a balanced way, while the company is pursuing its own agenda. The word that really sticks with me from this interview is governance, and I'm, I promise you I'm going to reread your book again. It's just what you're saying is so important, and it really I can see why why companies like yours are needed to help boards and C-level people really work together to be successful. Can you talk a little bit more about the value of coaching at the C-level? Sure. I have a, a chapter in my books, and, and – and, um, title it bench your inner coach and the reason i say that is because so many people whether they are bosses in the management stream or whether they are you know executives on boards of directors uh, got there because they're smart they're accomplished they know what it takes to succeed they like to mentor people so there's an irresistible urge to coach but once you get to high levels in management, once you get to the C-suite, there's really no one inside your company who can coach you. I mean, the good news is, you know, welcome to the C-suite. The bad news is you no longer have a peer or any safe mentor within the company who can really advise you. You need your own person. It is not your boss. It is not a member of the board to, you know, help you see what you can't see yourself and is dedicated to helping you improve as an executive. Uh, there was a study that came out of Stanford Business School a year or so ago, and then they interviewed um, CEOs, and they asked how many had coaches outside of their companies, and then they asked how many wanted to have a coach outside their company. And it was interesting, the numbers surprised a lot of people. 30% had a coach, about 100% wanted one. Wow, that yeah. that is very, very interesting. Very yeah. interesting. Nancy, could you talk, in the last chapter of your book, you talk about cultivating wisdom, and I, I just love what you said. And I wonder if you could just leave us with a few thoughts around cultivating wisdom in ourselves. Sure. Actually, someone asked me recently if I had had any aha moments in writing the book. And I said, you know, I, I did because I had these 10 imperatives, which really were geared around the 10 most common problems that we see. And the last chapter 
was not about wisdom. And and it, I was working with my my editors and we're trying to write this and it just it, it wasn't working. And then I woke up one day and I said, it's the wrong last chapter. The last chapter has to be about wisdom. And I realized that wisdom really is the final frontier in in people working well together. And it really is the duct tape, if you will, that holds all of the other all the other imperatives together. So it, it really became the last, but in some ways the most important thing that leaders have to have to work well in groups of people. I was teaching a, a class on the power of consinity recently, and I asked people to define wisdom. And, you know, a few people uh, raised their hands and, and tried to you know, answer it, and there were a few answers, but but only a few timid answers. And so I, I said to people, all right, I want everybody to close your eyes, which uh, a room of 75 people doesn't usually like to do, but everybody did it. Uh-huh. And I said, so I want you to think about someone or a couple of someones in your life who you think were wise. And I want you to think about what they did, how they lived, how they worked, and what made them wise. And then I had people open their eyes and and they had completely different looks on their faces. And I said, so what is wisdom? And a bunch of hands went up. And um, wisdom is is difficult to define as some things, but you really know it when you see it. And we all have someone in our lives that, we're, that we think of as wise. And what's important for leaders to do is to come up with their own definition of wisdom, to really have an understanding of what it is. And then they really need to cultivate it in their lives, and they need to encourage the others that they're working with to really cultivate it. And and there are some hallmarks to leadership that I that I write about in my book, and I you know love to have folks you know spend some time there. But really, one of the hallmarks of leadership is somebody who has a very different relationship with the consequences of their actions and the consequences of events. And if you are always of, of the mind that you have got to control the events, that you've got to have your your view win out in the end, if you think about that, that's not totally realistic. And the truly wise person realizes that not everything is within control. And just that ability to have a different relationship with the consequences, a different relationship with outcomes, transforms the way people work together. It's almost like magic. It's so powerful. So that's one element. There are others that really are hallmarks, and it's a great tool to pick up. People need to start working on it, I think, very early in their careers, but it it is, you know, much as good leadership and good governance are hallmarks of high-performing companies. You know, this this cultivation of wisdom really is a hallmark of high-performing leaders. Wow, that was that was so beautiful. I just really appreciate what you just said. And this has been so thought-provoking for me, and I'm sure for the women and men that are listening to this program. So thank you so much, Nancy, for taking the time to do this interview with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Can you do me a favor? I would really appreciate you giving me a great review on iTunes. Every great review allows us to get more women to discover the show and helps them to succeed. Also, I would really appreciate you sharing my show with your friends and associates. And thanks for listening. 
you for joining your host, Sabrina Brahm, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email her at sabrina at sabrinabrahm.com. Since 1989, Sabrina and her team have helped hundreds of women managers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs with valuable trainings, articles, books, and executive coaching. For additional tips, interviews, and free access to Great Leaders Today mini-course, visit www.womensleadershipsuccess.com.